What's up, everybody? It's Sir Dr. J.M. here, bringing you episode number three of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. In case you didn't get from the name, this is an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Some housekeeping for you. First things first, follow me on Twitter and Instagram and many other services. If you can find them, search for Sir Dr. J.M., and you will probably find me. I would love the support and the appreciation there. And as always, if you want to drop me a line on any of those services, I will gladly respond. And if you've got questions or anything you'd like me to talk about, I'll bring it to the next show and we'll start a little discussion on it. Now, you can get this on Apple Podcasts right now. Just search for One Man Watchpoint. Um... Currently, you cannot find me on any other podcast services, and that's because I'm lazy. That's right. Last week, I talked about the fact that I should get my podcast on more podcast services, and I have forgotten to do that. So I'll get on that. I'll get right on that. I'm, I'm positive. I'll do it right after this. Now then, first things first, the first segment of this show that I like to do is the news segment. Um, So here we're going to talk a little bit about all of the latest and greatest news going on in Overwatch. Uh, That does include Overwatch League, as well as any other developments that we're hearing. Um, Generally speaking, I don't mention PTR updates and things like that, unless there's something groundbreaking or or a new shakeup kind of thing. So I don't think I have any news stories right now from the uh, PTR this week. The first story I want to talk about is from Liz Richardson over at .esports.com. Liz reports, Overwatch League's cancelled China matches move to Seoul. So, this is of course in reference to last week we spoke about some of the cancelled games in the Overwatch League. Um, Many of the ones that were to take place in China... Um, had been cancelled because of threats of the coronavirus and everything. So, it seems that the league has now announced where many of those homestand matches will take place. Obviously, they're not really homestand matches anymore because they're not going to be taking place in uh, that town's home city. However, they're the closest thing they're going to get due to the current state of the coronavirus. Pulling from Liz's article... We have this excerpt here. The previously cancelled matches will take place, quote, over multiple days, end quote, during week six and seven of the current schedule, according to a news update by the Overwatch League. Week six is scheduled for March 14th and 15th, and week seven is March 21st and 22nd. In addition, some of the makeup matches, quote, might be added to the Seoul Dynasty homestand, end quote, which takes place on March 7th and 8th. So that would be week 5. While the matches will be played in Seoul and live-streamed for fans, this leaves Chinese fans without five homestands they were promised. The Shanghai Dragons and Hangzhou Spark missed out on only one homestand event, but the Gangzhou Charge had three of their five total annual events cancelled due to their coronavirus. The league hasn't discussed how this will affect those teams or their financial standings. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is obviously because we talked about the cancellation of those homestand matches last week. However, Liz points out an important part at the end of her article there, 
Uh, actually, that's probably not the end of the article, but that's the end of the part I pulled from the article, where she says the league hasn't discussed how this will affect those teams or their financial standings. Now, I'm sure Blizzard and the Overwatch League cannot be thrilled with the current situation, especially with everything that went on in China um, last year with Blitzchung and everything like that. However, this is a little different, and they essentially had to pull their games from there. If they if they didn't have to, I guarantee those homestands would still be happening, especially with the Chinese market being such a large market and having such a, a strong fan base with some of their teams. I can't imagine they wanted to make this call. Chances are, because the, the new season of Overwatch League had started, they had to kind of scramble to make these decisions. I'm sure people in the decision-making process had been aware that this could happen with uh, the coronavirus growing and everything, um, or the threat of it growing. However, that doesn't change the fact that I don't think anyone would have wanted to see this. Now, Seoul is maybe a nice alternative. Um, I'm sure you do have a fair number of fans in Seoul who are fans of some of the Chinese teams. However, again, you know, you hate to see it kind of thing. Good that they've moved the the matches or rescheduled them, I suppose. And it means those weekends will likely just be crazy bonkers because there's going to be a ton of matches on those weekends. However, again, you know, sad for the fans and people who purchase tickets and everything like that. That said, obviously, you can still catch the games on the Overwatch League's YouTube channel. Um, I almost said Twitch there, but uh, nope, it's on their YouTube channel now. So catch the games there when they air. The next story I wanted to talk about is also from .esports.com, this time by Tyler Esguera. Now, this reads, Lucio, Reinhardt, and May were the most played heroes during the first week of Overwatch League Season 3. Now, if we take a look at Tyler's article, it reads something like this. The opening weekend of the 2020 Overwatch League season has come and gone. Fans, however, have already gotten a glimpse of what to expect from the meta that teams will be leaning on for the rest of the year. Lucio, Reinhardt, and May were the three most played heroes of the week, according to Overwatch's Stats Lab. And he has a link there. Lucio had a usage rate of 91.9%, while Reinhardt was at an equally impressive 88.7%. May sat at 84.1% in third, while Diva and Ana came in fourth and fifth place, respectively. The top three heroes were prominent throughout each series, but there were also a few niche picks that made a big impact on a few games. He then goes on to talk a little bit more about the stats and things like that. However, I have a graphic here that he posted in his article, which uh, I definitely urge you to check out because... I find this kind of shit very interesting. And in it, as he mentions, you can see Lucio at 91.9%, Reinhardt at 88.7%, May at 84.1%. Now, why that's interesting? Because that shows us a peek into a large part of the meadow we're looking at, which obviously is a pretty significant shift uh, from the previous Overwatch League season. Now, why is that? You might say, you know, we still got Lucio. We had Lucio played a lot at the end of uh, last uh, League season. We had May being played quite frequently as well. The reason I say this is a big shift is because we have Reinhardt back into the mix, which Reinhardt, obviously, big part of the GOATS meta. Um, however, after that, as we went into the 2-2-2 roll lock, 
um, he started to take kind of a back seat. And especially once Sigma came into the picture and we had the 222 shield uh, meta, we definitely didn't see Reinhardt that often, despite his large shield. We really saw Sigma and Orisa played. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if, if the stats were like 95, 95 for both of those characters, or something to that extent. Now, as I talked about in my first episode, I'm a big fan of Reinhardt, and especially a skilled Reinhardt. Uh, he's definitely one of the more fun tanks to watch. At least I find him more fun than someone like Orisa, who is very very immobile. Um, now then, looking at Lucio, I'm not shocked to see Lucio at the top because in terms of his versatility as a support character and his versatility in terms of being able to rush a point or bring characters back to uh, a zone quickly, or um, as we'll talk about later when I look at some of the highlights from the week, uh, his ability to traverse a map very quickly and maybe sneak behind some people. Uh, he's a very useful support character to have. The other side of that is, of course, Mei, who acts very much as a crowd control kind of support uh, DPS character um, with her slowdown ability, um, as well as obviously her ult with the Blizzard. It really comes in handy uh, when you are in a tight spot and you can catch the the enemy team off guard with uh, with some of her moves. So, not shocked to see May and Lucio up there. Um, and also, having watched the games and everything, not shocked to see Reinhardt there, but more, I guess, glad and relieved to see a bigger shift from the meta um, that we saw at the end of the previous season. Moving on down from there, as uh, Tyler mentioned in his article, uh, we have Diva in fourth, we have Anna in fifth. Diva at 69.8% and Ana at 63.2%. Now, even that is significant, obviously. Again, with Diva coming back into the mix, Diva, someone who we saw used quite often in GOATS meta, as well as we saw her a little bit in the 222 meta um, with some of the teams that struggled a little more to play Orisa and Sigma. I think they definitely did try to make Diva work in a lot of cases, especially with uh, the defense matrix being able to eat some of the more powerful ults, like May's ult, like Zarya's ult, um, things like that. She definitely comes in handy, and we saw some big plays, I think, in week two um, with a team like New York uh, eating some of the, the Blizzard um, ults that some of the other teams were using. So not too surprising to see her up there, um, especially with her you know, being such an important off-tank. So, again, not shocked. Ana in fifth place as well. Not incredibly surprising because I think most of the teams were playing with Ana at least at some points um, as the other support character with Lucio, um, which is always good. She's more of a focused healer, uh, more of a direct healer, so good to see her played as well as obviously the great uh, sleep dart ability and her boost ability, which comes in real handy when you've got a Reinhardt who's in close and can start swinging. After that, I think, is where things start to get quite a bit more interesting because towards the end of uh, season two we obviously saw a ton of may reaper being played and i would have thought that reaper would probably be um at least the not necessarily in sixth place in terms of the usage however i would have thought you'd see him probably the next in line dps character um that but that's not true what we do see is McCree, my boy McCree, 
coming in hot at sixth place um the second dps character so i'm very i keep saying dps you know i mean damage uh but i'm very excited to see him there because i love watching a good mccree um there's just something about his his swagger and his style that i definitely enjoy so i'm glad to see him there next up after that and i won't go through all of these because they do get pretty granular next up after that however is orisa which again you know we've definitely been seeing a bit of her um she's 26.3 percent played which i mean is a far cry from the 88.7 that you see at reinhardt at or even the 69.8 that you see diva at so looking at that it kind of says you know not everyone can play a solid uh diva so i think a lot of them are trying orisa or trying to make orisa work instead of reinhardt but really i don't know that it's panning out um i think reinhardt's just a much much more useful character after that you do then see reaper as i suggested um so you know may mccree and reaper being the top three damage characters that show up on the list reaper's at 25.6 percent and understandably so because i think reaper is all around and always has been um uh, a decent damage dealing character and especially with the death death blossom um if you can time that right and i think i talked about in my first episode sneak up behind some people or drop onto them from above you can really wreck shop with the death death blossom going down from there it decre decreases quite drastically um you've got baptiste next then moira so both support characters so what you kind of see there is a lot more um although you have lucio sitting at the top with as 91.9 percent most played and he is the f the only support character until the fifth spot you do see almost all of the support characters showing up here um with the exception of brig because I mean, I think we've only really seen a couple people uh, pull Brig, although this past weekend we did see Brig getting played quite a bit more, which was exciting. Um, and then I don't think we've seen Mercy played much at all. If anything, it was someone hopped on her for, for you know, a minute or two just trying to finish off a match and maybe keep someone alive. But honestly, things not working out too well. So from there, uh, the next spot that the only, the last one I'll mention is Widowmaker at 10.1%. Um, and the only reason I mentioned her is because we did see some exciting Widow play this past weekend. Uh, for instance, we saw Carpe uh, picking off heads, which I will also talk about a little bit later. Going down from there, um, you know, it's all the rest of the gang. Uh, and in fact, this doesn't actually show us all the characters, I believe. However, it does show us most, and it looks like at the end we have Bastion at 0.0% and Roadhog at 0.0% as well. So exciting stuff to see. Interesting to see that breakdown. And especially interesting because we inch ever closer to March when the, uh, what did they call it, character pools, or hero pools, I guess, will go live. And that's when we'll see uh, characters who were heavily played the previous week locked out from play in the following week. So looking at this right now, I believe it's... Uh, can't remember i think the overwatch league said it was going to be one support one tank and two dps so our one support would be lucio our one tank would be reinhardt our two dps or damage characters would be may and mccree so obviously that means we're going to see a very different week if you know if the if the hero pools were to 
go into play right now. We would see no Lucio, we would see no Reinhardt, we would see no May, and we would see no McCree. So maybe you've still got Diva as your off tank, maybe you've still got Ana as your primary healing healer, but chances are, I don't know, I don't know who you see. Maybe you see Orisa step into Reinhardt's shoes, maybe you see Sigma step into Reinhardt's shoes just because they've got the shield. That said, we all know uh, their shields aren't quite as good as they once were, so who knows? We'll see, I suppose. But then on the healing side as well, you're losing Lucio. So, I mean, my guess, honestly, it feels like more of a natural fit to keep Ana, but also introduce Moira because Moira has a little bit more of the maneuverability and she'll also stay a little bit more with the group so that she can keep them healed up um, while Ana stays at a distance and obviously snipes people off with some heals. So that's kind of a quick... Oh, I don't know about how quick it was, but that's a look at the league usage stats from the previous week uh showing us the most played heroes during the first week of the overwatch league season three um and now that i'm looking at this this does say the first week of overwatch league season three so this must be referring back to the like i said first week so interesting stuff um but regardless i mean doesn't really change a ton of what i said because i think this would probably trend towards the first or the first and second week i don't think things were were all that different so that's a look at that exciting stuff now on to another exciting story one that i find particularly exciting because i'm a big fan of uh this kind of thing so I'm going to read this directly from TheVerge.com. It is written by Taylor Lyles. So go ahead and head over to TheVerge.com and read this article by Taylor. Now, here we go. Since 2014, I'm not going to read you the headline right now because it'll be a big reveal when I get there. Since 2014, Blizzard has released so many breathtaking cinematic videos for Overwatch that most of us have wondered when Blizzard would finally look into adapting the game to the big screen or as a TV show. Well, an Activision Blizzard executive's resume now hints that Blizzard did explore the possibility of an actual Overwatch TV show, one that might even still be on the way, and there might be a Diablo one too. According to the LinkedIn profile of Nick Van Dyke, who just so happens to be in charge of the part of Activision Blizzard responsible for building TV shows and movies, he was personally involved in developing and selling an animated Overwatch TV show. The rest of his resume suggests that he might have been just the man for the job. He previously worked at Disney, where he played a key role in helping the company acquire Pixar, and he apparently sold an anime-style Diablo show to Netflix as well. If that's true, it confirms a long-time rumor that Netflix had one in the works, though it's not clear if the show is still in production. Van Dyke's profile notes that the Overwatch TV series was only, quote, sold, not greenlit, and that the Diablo show was in, quote, pre-production at some point. Blizzard has not made any official announcements surrounding either project, so it's possible neither will get off the ground. Now, I did just read the whole article because it's relatively short, but go ahead and click that link just to uh, give Taylor the, the, the read there. Now, why does that excite me, you might ask? You know, who really cares about a TV show? 
likely a cartoon. Well, I'm here to tell you I do. Uh, I'm a big fan of cartoons in all shapes, all sizes, and all forms. Right now, I'm actually for the first time watching The Clone Wars on Disney+. Plus. Um, very exciting show, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I am using a guide as to which shows to watch because apparently there's a lot of bloat in the series. So far, I haven't found that because I'm only watching the episodes from the guide. So it's working out very well. I'm currently on season four, if you're interested. That said, I'm also a big fan of many other uh, children's TV shows. I have a very young daughter, and she loves Paw Patrol. And you know what? In terms of the little kids' shows, it's definitely one of the better ones. I, I don't mind it, and I like dogs, so it's teaching her to like dogs is the way I see it. Outside of that, I mean, uh, we occasionally also will just put on Sonic Boom for her. I don't know if she cares. I don't know if she knows who the characters are. I don't know if she's starting to recognize them. But regardless, it's actually a surprisingly good show I've found. Um, some other cartoons I'm a big fan of. One in particular is Gravity Falls. If you've never watched Gravity Falls, hop on Disney Plus or hop somewhere else and find it and watch it because it's great. Gravity Falls is probably one of my favorite uh, animated shows for sure. My all-time favorite animated show is actually Futurama. Um, I'm a huge Futurama fan. I have Futurama toys and figures all over my, my goddamn house. And I love the show and I've, I've watched it for a very long time. Um, that said, I mean, speaking of Disney Plus, because that's where I watch a lot of this stuff, um, the 20, I think it's 2018, maybe 2017, DuckTales, the newer DuckTales is actually really good um, and really humorous, and I enjoy it a lot. And to round it out, there's also a Mickey Mouse cartoon on there, which is just sort of little short animated features uh, starring Mickey Mouse and, and friends. And it is actually exceedingly good um i put it on just kind of for my kid and then i wound up watching a whole bunch of episodes because i actually really liked it so long story short i'm a big fan of this kind of thing um and i definitely think there are some video video game franchises that are ripe for the picking in this way that would be would really adapt well to cartoons um we obviously sony has uh, done a couple of these or at least had a couple of these in the works um a while back, I think 2016, they released a Ratchet and Clank uh, movie, which coincided with a sort of, I guess you would call it a rebuild, a remaster, a revamp of the original Ratchet and Clank game. Um, and the game was great. The movie was okay, I suppose. It was fun to watch, at least. Um, but I actually think Ratchet and Clank is is prime for a, a kid's show. Um, and they also, many, I think around the same time, they announced a Sly Cooper movie animated movie in the works but i don't think that ever came to fruition and it's probably stuck in development hell now so i don't know if we'll ever see that however i love the sly cooper franchise as well and would love to see that come to reality along those same lines activision blizzard potentially sold a overwatch tv show how much fun would that be i mean come on all anyone ever all anyone ever begs for when it comes to overwatch is more lore if they could get more you know cinematic videos if they could get more backstory to i don't know lucio which it looks like we're gonna get in overwatch 2 um or mccree or i don't know every character every character we don't know enough about imagine if they had a tv show that literally just flushes out the entire story um i could see them doing some really cool things with that who would you center it around i mean i would imagine I would imagine you probably center it around Tracer would probably be my guess. Um, maybe Winston. 
if you really wanted to, um, just because he is so much fun and I love Winston. But I, I have to assume that it would end up being Tracer because Tracer kind of is more of a um, approachable hero, if you will. Uh, you know, have her in all the marketing, plus she's already on all the marketing for Overwatch League and for just Overwatch in general. So I think Tracer seems like a natural fit for the main character. But then, you know, obviously you have her as the central character where she works with uh, Overwatch and they kind of center around her. So it's an easy easy uh way to bring in winston mercy um you know torb even and a lot of those characters as well as uh i mean soldier but as well as you've got the other side of it as well with Blackwatch, it's an easy um an easy villain for the series and everything especially with you know reyes and uh some of the other characters that we see so exciting stuff and hopefully that comes to fruition especially with netflix um i was a big fan of the uh netflix castlevania show that they did with adi shankar um hearing that you know netflix potentially was working on an anime style diablo series that's very exciting um i could definitely see them doing an overwatch series in the same style an anime overwatch series that could be really cool really stylized um however you know i i don't know that i care too much about the art style plus overwatch's art style kind of lends itself a little better to just a straight-up cartoon translation of it as opposed to an anime-style thing. So, exciting stuff. I'm definitely interested in seeing what happens there. And now, for the next part of the show, the Overwatch League recap. I'm just going to pull up the schedule from last week, and let's take a look. The Battle of Brotherly Love, hosted by the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, as I talked about last week, there were only four... Last, in last week's episode, I talked about. There were only four matches, um, so not a ton. You know, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Fun to watch. Uh, however, not, in my opinion, the most exciting matches. Um, in part, just because of the caliber of teams that we're playing. That said... Um, I, I expressed that I was most interested in seeing what the Florida Mayhem do because it was our first time seeing them since their sort of major rebuild. And Saturday did not disappoint with Florida Mayhem taking their first game 3-0 against the Houston Outlaws. Um, and while I say Florida did not disappoint, I would largely say Houston did disappoint. I think a lot of people had some high expectations because Houston has a very large fan base and a very rabid fan base. Um, again, I like to point out the fact that Harsha is a traitor and he left Vancouver to go to Houston. However, it maybe it hasn't paid off. But at the same time, we're so early on in this in the league that or in the season, sorry, that it's probably too early to really judge a lot of these teams um, because a lot will happen over the next you know 27 weeks. So exciting stuff to see Florida play for the first time um, with this sort of new rebuilt team. And like I say, they definitely, definitely did a great job against Houston. Houston, sorry. But on the other side of that is Houston, uh, in a lot of ways, I think, dropping the ball. Um, it very much seemed like Houston was kind of very static. Um, it seemed like they, they didn't adapt to what Florida was doing. And it seemed like they didn't really, you know, when things didn't go their way, they didn't try to change their strategy. They didn't try to change characters. They didn't. They didn't try too much to counter what Florida was doing. Um, 
to come on so strong. And because of that, I think they got a little bit steamrolled. So it was fun to watch because I was excited to see Florida, but that's that's about all I have to say about that. Moving on from there, uh, the second Saturday game, we had the Washington Justice playing the Philadelphia Fusion. I had mentioned I was excited to see Washington play because I'm a big fan of Corey. And uh, although Corey, I, I would say, didn't disappoint, he definitely had some good plays. Um, I didn't see a ton that was super interesting in that match. I personally was surprised to see Philly pull out the win with it being 3-1 in favor of Philly. However, um, again, I, I think I may have expressed that I didn't really know what to expect from Philly, whereas I felt I did when it came to Washington, and I thought they could pull out the win. But regardless, they came out with the L, so I guess we'll see what they did on Sunday. Moving on to Sunday, we saw Washington returning to play the returning Houston Outlaws. And Washington had a decisive win over the Houston Outlaws with a 3-0 for Washington. Just like Florida 3-0'd Houston, Washington did as well. Now, again, what can I say about that match? Washington disappointed me the day before. However, you know, not, not terrible, being that they at least won one round. However, Houston, I felt like, was very much the same Houston we saw on Saturday, where they struggled to adapt to the plays Washington was making. They struggled to really try anything new. And because of that, again, I think they just kind of got steamrolled. Um, Honestly, in my opinion, good to see that it wasn't a Houston home game because, you know, in a home game, generally speaking, I think you want to see the home game do or home team play well because that's always more exciting for the fans, right? But in this case, Washington, again, just... You know, just like Florida did, 3-0 and them. So, not much else to say about that. Final game on Sunday, we saw the Florida Mayhem play against the Philadelphia Fusion. I would, if I had to give an award for most interesting match of the weekend, it would probably go to this game. Uh, being that Florida 3-0'd Houston and Philly 3-1'd, is that a phrase, 3-1'd Washington? Um, it was a winner's match where we got to see the two two uh, champion teams from the weekend go head-to-head. And I was surprised to see the fact that Philly pulled out the 3-0. Uh, Florida did not gain any ground on them, and Philly took it for that game. So looking at everything from the weekend, obviously, that tells us the big winner for the weekend was Philly. Um, they took two wins, whereas no other team did this past weekend. Um, you know, Florida got one on Saturday and Washington got one on Sunday. However, Houston comes out the big loser and took both losses on the chin. So do I think this means any significant changes, any big developments, anything super interesting? Not truly, simply based on the fact that, again, it was week two. It's so early on in the season that I think a lot of teams are still kind of getting their feet. Um, Houston definitely being one of them and, you know, Florida being one of them as well. Um, the teams need some time to find out how they really perform on a stage together. So, you know, I wasn't too shocked by this weekend. I had different hopes for the outcomes. Um, however, both teams I wanted to win had got one win, but they also got a loss. So that's what that weekend looked like. Now then, next up, I want to talk a little bit about some of the plays of the week. Now, just for your information, you can watch this video on uh, Overwatch League's YouTube channel. They post a best plays of the week, uh, week two or week three or whatever the week was. And it's generally just a top five of some awesome plays from the past weekend. So it's an easy thing for me to pull. 
Um, I pulled it up. I will give it a quick watch. You can too. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about Ark with Washington on point B in Anubis. So they uh, in that video, they listed it as the uh, number five top play of the weekend. Just uh, very exciting, um, you know, the, the kind of thing where it happens and even the camera doesn't necessarily realize it's happening. And so it's actually focusing on a completely different area when it happens. So if you haven't seen the video, uh, essentially what we're seeing is we're seeing point B on Anubis outside of the kind of temple zone. Um, we see Philadelphia and Washington going head to head. Uh, Ivy throws out a blizzard, Ivy for Philadelphia. And then suddenly as all of this is going on, the camera goes back to the point and we see Ark for Washington on the Lucio on the point. And it's at that point that he caps it and he gets the capture for Washington. And that was super exciting to see the kind of thing you don't see too often because usually teams are watching for that kind of thing. But when it does happen, whoo boy, is it exciting as a uh, spectator. I can't imagine being one of them, but it was fun to watch. The next up um, in the video there, they call it a classic pincer attack because they kind of, uh, I guess, swoop in uh, from maybe both sides. I'm not really sure why they call it that. We saw Houston on the point pushing it through, or on the payload, sorry, pushing it through Eichenwald. And we see Florida come up through the castle and come in from behind and take them out. And it was really interesting because, um, I mean, even if you listen to the commentary on the game, it looked like, uh, for all intents and purposes, Houston saw them coming, knew what they were doing, should have been able to take them out and stop them. But for some reason, Florida comes in and Florida manages to push them off the point or off the payload. And that's it for Houston. They're in overtime at the, at that moment. And the way it works out, you know, you've got BQB on the bridge above picking people off. He gets his dead eye. Um, he lets it loose. He gets, I think he only gets one kill, but then he drops down and he takes out the last few of them. Oh, I'm sorry. I was mixed up. Uh, it was Florida pushing the point and it was Houston trying to keep them off of it. So from that though, they, they wipe Houston and they managed to keep the point rolling into, uh, into the checkpoint. So definitely an exciting play to see, especially when you're cheering for Florida and they managed to turn things around where it looked like, uh, they may have been thwarted prior to that. The final one that I want to talk about is the number one play of the week uh, listed in that video, and it is Carpe coming in clutch, popping people's heads with the Widow. Um, that was the kind of performance you really want to see, especially because everyone knows Carpe is a, a sick sniper. Um, so watching him play Widow on, uh, on Nepal is always exciting, um, especially Nepal being one of those maps that, you know, has some solid sight lines, but isn't the most open. Um, but that said, Carpe just gets an angle on them and starts picking off Washington. And it is ex very exciting to see. And from that, they take the point. So that is the plays of the week that I like to look at because I find that stuff exciting um, and definitely very interesting to watch the pros be pros now then the next segment 
before we wrap up the show. This might be a bit of a shorter show, I noticed, but that's okay. Um, the next segment is the segment that I'm going to call Fl- Owl Flying At Ya. Because this is when we take a look at the next week in the Overwatch League. Looks like this game is hosted by the Washington Justice. Now, I haven't actually, I mean, I've glanced at the schedule before, but generally speaking, I don't actually really look ahead unless I'm like, hey, when does Vancouver play? And I just check the weeks until I find them. Um, So this is pretty much the first time I've looked at this schedule. So it looks like Washington Justice is hosting. And first things first, on Saturday, February 22nd, looks like we have one, two, three games, and then we have three games on Sunday as well. So a little bit more than last weekend um, and should be exciting regardless. Um, so Saturday, February 22nd at 1 p.m. Mountain Time with the New York Excelsior coming back, which is very exciting because New York performed, uh, I think, exceedingly well in that first week of the Overwatch League Season 3. And they are playing against Philadelphia, who just played last week, as I just talked about. Um, So that'll be interesting. It's our first kind of back-to-back week where we see a team, or we see the same team. And looking ahead at some of the other games, we actually see, uh, with the exception of Florida, all of the teams that played last week playing this weekend. So that's exciting for them. So as I mentioned, New York versus Philadelphia. I think if I had to pick one, I think most people will pick the New York Excelsior. Um, I would probably be with them, I think. I I don't think that Philadelphia is quite there yet where they can knock out New York. That said, it'll be an interesting test for them because New York is obviously um, one of the better teams right now and one of the... Um, more skilled teams definitely coming off of last season so we'll see how that turns out but my money's on new york after that at 3 p.m mountain time we see the boston uprising playing against the houston outlaws if you will allow me one moment to check the previous weeks if i hop over to week one i'm expecting to see the boston uprising losing yep losing to the new york excelsior three and oh And so I think we will call this match the Battle of the Losers because Houston, as I mentioned last weekend, we saw get thwomped a couple times. And Boston, as we saw in the first week, we also saw them get thwomped. So looks to me like we might have maybe a pretty even matchup. Um, In my opinion, I would, and maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind in terms of the Houston game, I would give this one to Boston. Um, but we'll see what happens, I suppose, in, in the battle of the losers. Next up, we have the Washington Justice and the Paris Eternal. Um, again, I, I think I mentioned in my first episode there, I've never really cared too much to watch Paris games. Uh, do I have a reason for that? Absolutely not. I just personally don't generally tune into those games. So I might catch this one, uh, but I might not. Uh, I'd like to see... I honestly have no horse in the race, so I could take it or leave it. Whoever wants to win can win that game. Um, Yeah, we'll see, I suppose. After that, we have New York again, and this time they are playing the Houston Outlaws. Yeah, I I don't expect to see Houston pull much out of their hat in that game. Um, I would honestly expect it to be pretty one-sided. And again, maybe that's just based on this previous weekend. Um, because Houston did what they did and didn't do what they didn't do. Um, But regardless, I definitely think 
that that game's going to New York because I don't see Houston having that quick of a turnaround kind of thing. Now, I'm just looking back at week one, and it looks like Paris uh, won 1-1 match against London and lost one match against Toronto. Pretty evenly matched, I would argue, against Washington. However, in terms of their roster and everything, I'm not too sure just because I'm not looking at it. So we'll see what kind of happens there. Jumping back to Sunday. Sorry, the New uh, York-Houston game was on Sunday. Jumping back to Sunday at 3 p.m., we have the Toronto Defiant playing the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, Toronto obviously in week one, as we talked about previously, I'm just pulling it up, won their only game against Paris 3-1. Definitely exciting to see that. However, being that they only played one game and it was actually the very first game of the season, um, we've yet to see if Toronto has any kind of staying power. So that'll be an interesting one to see because, again, if we look back at last week, we would see that Philadelphia came up with two wins. So, I mean, technically right now, Philadelphia looks like the hotter team, but again, Toronto has only played one game, whereas Philly's played two, and at that point, Philly will have actually played three because they play New York on Saturday. So Philly's got the back-to-back doubleheader, and Toronto's just got this one game on Sunday. I would personally pull for Toronto, but that's mostly just because I'm always going to pull for a Canadian team um, ahead of an American one, because that's the way the cookie crumbles. But I'm, I'm curious to see how that one nets out um, if Philadelphia really shows its strength and becomes a dominant force kind of thing, or if, you know, it was more about the matchups they had. Um, and the same goes for Toronto. If maybe it was just the matchup they had, or if they can, you know, really flex and take out a team that so far we haven't seen win. I mean, we haven't seen lose a match. So that'll be fun to watch for sure. And finally, jumping to our final game of this weekend at 5 p.m., we see the London Spitfire facing off against the Washington Justice. Now, what do I expect from that match? I expect London... I want to say I expect London to fall on their face again against Washington. However, looking at their uh, performances in Week 1, I mean, they did face New York, who, as I've talked about already, is a strong team. So... You know, we I think we we didn't really know how London was going to perform, and being that they're such a junior team, um, I don't think it was too surprising to see them lose to New York. So if you cr- kind of take that game out of the equation and say, well, they lost zero to three against Paris um, the day after their New York game, you know, if you look at that, but then you look at the Washington Justice last weekend losing one, winning one. Um, Really hard to say. Again, I think pretty similar in a lot of ways to uh, the Washington-Paris game. Pretty close matchup, I would say. Who do I think the edge goes to? I think it goes to Washington. Um, like I said, I think there's a there's a lot riding on that London team because they're so young. Um, so if they can pull out a win, then I think they'll they'll definitely impress a lot of people, especially seeing their performance in Week One. So they've definitely got a bone to pick. Um, and who knows, will they pick it with Washington? We'll see. Washington obviously is going to have a blast because it is their homestand weekend, and I think they definitely stand a good chance of winning both their games. And in fact, you know, I would even like to see them win both. That would be very exciting. On top of that, I mean, just again, looking at the schedule overall, you've got New York, you've got Philadelphia, you've got Washington, and then, I mean, obviously, 
you've also got Boston Houston, like a lot of American teams playing. Um, and I, I would imagine they'll have a lot of fans for all those teams there. So that'll definitely be exciting. Well, I think that about wraps up our show this week. Um, as you all know, that was One Man Watchpoint, Episode 3, an Overwatch podcast. I, w- I am, I was about to say I was, but I, you know, I still am, your host, Sir Dr. JM. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, Twitch and any other service that you want to find me on. Um, just search for Sir Dr. JM. If you follow me there, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you drop me a line on any of those services, just send me your thoughts, send me questions, comments, concerns, send me anything you want to hear me talk about on the show, send me anything else that you might have on your mind, and maybe I'll talk about it on the show. Find me on Apple Podcasts, just go ahead and search for One Man Watchpoint. And I promise this time, I will do my best to try and get my podcast up on Google services uh, or Android podcasts or other podcast services or something like that as soon as I can. So that's it for this episode of One Man Watchpoint. Have yourselves a great week in Overwatch, and I'll catch you next week for episode four.